Welcome to On Call for God. I'm Jose Rodriguez, your host, and later on in the program, I'll give you a list of countries from where listeners tune in to our weekly show. In the meantime, this week in the news, Israel-Hamas truce collapses, Israel plans to assassinate Hamas leaders, Henry Kissinger dies, and a record high suicide rate in the United States and elsewhere. These and more stories today on On Call for God. On Call for God begins right now. Israel destroys hundreds of terror sites as a truce collapses between them and Hamas. The Jewish Sabbath was marred by bloodshed after a week-old truce between Israel and Hamas collapsed with the Israeli army uh, saying they struck over 400 terror targets in the Gaza Strip, including a controversial mosque. The Israeli uh, Defense Forces said that some 50 of the 400 sites were targeted as part of an air raid on Khan Yunus in the southern Gaza Strip. Israeli naval forces reportedly used precision-guided missiles to strike Hamas terror infrastructure, as well as maritime equipment located near the Khan Yunus Harbor. In northern Gaza, Israeli forces from the 401st Brigade struck down a terror cell and directed aerial fire targeting several terror targets in the Jabalia area. In a move also expected to draw Palestinian condemnation, the IDF acknowledged that it had destroyed a Gaza mosque. However, it did say that the uh, Islamic Jihad group had used the religious site as an operational headquarters, thus justifying its destruction. Like Hamas, the Islamic Jihad is viewed as a terrorist organization by Israel and most of its Western allies. It calls for the military destruction of Israel 
and rejects a two-state solution. The raid on the mosque was carried out by the IDF's 215th Artillery Brigade, which also directed aerial strikes against a terror cell and planned to ambush, or that planned to ambush its forces. Israeli sources said that the terror-infested mosque was later destroyed by Israeli Air Force fighter jets. As fighting resumed, uh, residents were seen walking to the road with belongings heaped up in carts searching for shelter further west. By Friday evening, the Hamas-run Heights Ministry in the coastal strip said Israeli strikes had killed 184 people, wounded at least 589, and hit more than 200 houses. It was unclear how many fighters were among those killed, as Israel pledged to annihilate, annihilate Hamas after its gunmen killed some 1,200 people, including toddlers and babies, in Israel while taking 240 others hostage back on October 7. And as fighting intensified, the Sabbath was far from peaceful for Israeli communities outside Gaza, with rocket sirens sounding throughout the area. The warring sides uh, blamed each other for the collapse of the truce during which Hamas militants had released hostages in exchange for Palestinians held in Israeli jails. The United Nations said the fighting would worsen an extreme humanitarian emergency. Hell on earth has returned to Gaza, according to Jens Larkey, a spokesperson for the United Nations office in Geneva, Switzerland. A pause that started in, on November 24 had been extended twice, and Israel said that it could continue as long as Hamas released 10 hostages a day. But after seven days, during which women, children, and foreign hostages were freed, mediators failed to find a formula to release more, with Israel accusing Hamas of refusing to free all of the women it held. Palestinian authorities confirmed that the breakdown occurred about female Israeli soldiers being held by Hamas. Over the past week, Hamas released 80 other Israeli women, children, and teenagers as part of a truce agreement in exchange for hundreds of Palestinians linked to terrorism which were held in Israeli jails. The Israeli government said Friday that 137 people were still being held, 126 Israelis, 8 Thais, 1 Nepali, 1 Tanzanian, and a French-Mexican. Retaliatory Israeli assaults, including those on Saturday, have laid waste much of Gaza, ruled by Hamas since 2007. The Hamas-run health ministry claimed more than 15,000 Palestinians have been killed and thousands are missing. While the United Nations views these figures as reliable, uh, they have been difficult to verify independently. It also remains unclear how many fighters are among those killed. Israel says it does not target civilians, but claims Hamas has been using them as human shields. Another bit of Israeli news, Israel's intelligence services are preparing to assassinate Hamas leaders globally after the war in the Gaza Strip has ended. Under the directives of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel's intelligence agencies are formulating plans to locate and assassinate Hamas leaders residing in Lebanon, Turkey, and Qatar. For years, countries such as Qatar, Lebanon, Iran, Russia, and Turkey have provided a degree of protection to Hamas, a U.S.-designated terrorist organization. For diplomatic reasons, Israel refrained from carrying out assassinations in those countries. However, this approach has seemed to uh, have shifted with the recent orders issued by the Israeli Prime Minister. Netanyahu conveyed his directives on November 22nd 
during a nationwide address, much to the dismay of some Israeli officials who had preferred to keep the latest plans shrouded in mystery. I have instructed, Netanyahu stated, the Mossad to act against the heads of Hamas wherever they are. Next, after the break, we'll look at some national news. Welcome back. In this section, uh, we'll look at the death of Henry Kissinger and also record suicides that are occurring in different parts of the world, including the United States. So who was this uh, fellow named Henry Kissinger? He was America's famous and arguably most controversial former Secretary of State and National Security Advisor who advised numerous presidents. In a statement, 
Kissinger Associates, a political consulting firm that he founded, said the German-born former diplomat died at his home in Connecticut. A committed practitioner of what they call realism in foreign relations, he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize, but at the same time roundly condemned as a war criminal by his critics. His shuttle diplomacy helped in the 1973 Arab-Israeli conflict and the negotiation of the Paris Peace Accords pulled America out of its long nightmare in Vietnam around the same time. But what his supporters described as real politic, his opponents condemned as immoral. Critics say that in the eight in his eight years in power, he unnecessarily prolonged the Vietnam War for five years, ordered the carpet bombing of Cambodia and Laos, provided arms for Pakistan's brutal war in Bangladesh, gave the green light to Argentina's dirty war, he endorsed General Augusto Pinochet's deadly coup in Chile, enabled a genocide in East Timor and fueled civil wars in Southern African nations. He was certainly a busy man. The estimated death toll for foreign policy follies connected to Kissinger sits between three million and four million, according to critics. They, they claim that 350,000 to 500,000 Cambodians were killed by American bombs is mostly directly connected to Mr. Kissinger. As Secretary of State, Kissinger personally approved thousands of bombing raids in the country while closely overseeing the campaign, according to records of that time. Cambodia's government collapsed amid the U.S. secret bombing which allowed the strongman Pol Pot to fill the vacuum. His short rule ended with the slaughter and starvation of one million more people. And I believe there is a movie made out uh, called The Killing Fields that tells that story. All those deaths came, according to Paul Blumenthal, all those deaths came as part of Kissinger's pursuit of a version of real politic that placed U.S. national interest above all other considerations, moral, ideological, political, and that made him an elder statesman, a best-selling author, and sought-after uh, confidant for political figures of all partisan persuasions and nationalities over the years. Born in Germany in 1923, Kissinger first came to the United States in 1938 when his Jewish family fled Nazi Germany. He became a U.S. citizen in 1943 and served three years in the U.S. Army and later in the Counterintelligence Corps. After earning bachelor's, master's, and Ph.D. degrees, he taught international relations at Harvard. And then in 1969, then-President Richard Nixon appointed him National Security Advisor, which gave him enormous influence over U.S. foreign policy. As Secretary of State during the Nixon administration and later under President Gerald Ford, Kissinger led diplomatic efforts towards China, uh, helped negotiate an end to the 1973 Yom Kippur War between Israel and its neighbors, and was instrumental in the Paris Peace Accords that ended the Vietnam War. Over the years, however, Kissinger was also subject to scathing criticism from those who accused him of rivalry with the Soviet Union over human rights and supporting repressive regimes across the world, including the mentioned Pinochet regime in Chile. In 1973, 
He was awarded a Nobel Peace Prize alongside North Vietnam's Le Duc Tho, who refused to accept. The controversial award led to two members of the Nobel Committee resigning. While Kissinger left government service in 1977, he became a prolific commentator on public affairs. U.S. presidents and lawmakers often sought his counsel. Kissinger also served on the board of uh, various companies and was a fixture of foreign policy and security forums as well as writing 21 books. He once famously questioned how the European Union functions, wondering who should I call when an issue needs urgent attention. Kissinger turned 100 years old in May, but continued to be active till nearly his last breath in this world, including a surprise visit to Beijing to meet Chinese President Xi Jinping in July. He is survived by his wife of nearly 50 years, as well as by two children from a previous marriage and five grandchildren. Funeral arrangements at this time were not immediately announced for the man who impacted America's policies for generations. Suicide rates, record high in the U.S. Suicide rates in the U.S. reached all-time highs in 2022, more than any year on record since 1941, according to the provisional data from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The rise to 14.3 deaths per 100,000 people in 2022 compared to 14.1 in 2021 indicates a 1% increase in the suicide rate nationwide. While the CDC provides provisional uh, data, it implies it's incomplete, indicating that the final count of suicides in 2022 will likely be higher as additional death certificates are processed. The current data includes a total of 49,000 449 suicides, raising the possibility that the number of U.S. suicides may surpass $50,000 in a single year for the first time on record. This figure is more than twice the number of homicides in 2022, but is still likely to remain below the threshold for uh, including suicide as a top 10 cause of death for U.S. adults. Men were approximately four times more likely than women to die by suicide, with the highest rates observed among senior men. However, in 2022, the suicide rate increased twice as much for women, with particularly notable rises among white women and those aged 25 to 34. The data also underscores a troubling surge in suicide among older adults, among all age groups, the highest rate of suicide was observed in adults aged 75 and over with 21.3 deaths per 100,000 people and likewise the most substantial rate increase among any age group occurred in those aged 55 through 64, reaching 18.5 deaths per 100,000 compared to 17 in 2021. Loneliness, another factor. Uh, it's identified by the CDC as a significant public health concern for older adults appears to be on the rise globally. Research estimates that at least 50% of adults over 60 are at risk of, for social isolation. And suicide isn't just increasing in the United States. Briefly, Canada considers allowing assisted suicide for children without parental consent. A parliamentary committee has called for expanding Canada's arrest assisted suicide program so that, quote, mature minors, unquote, whose deaths are reasonably foreseeable, be allowed to hasten their deaths without parental consent. The Special Joint Committee on Medical Assistance in Dying presented its report last week for discussion in the House of Commons recommending that minors should be eligible for doctor-assisted suicide. Vermont 
they have a new assisted suicide law that eliminates an in-person doctor consultation requirement. Vermont will now enable patients to remotely request medication to hasten their death by amending its assisted suicide statute to include telemedicine and expand access. The new law eliminates the requirement that the prescribing physician performs a physical examination to determine if the patient suffers from a terminal condition. What that means is that they can go ahead and kill themselves even though they don't have a terminal condition. And then 80% of Dutch uh, support assisted suicide for people without terminal illnesses. So that that is spreading around the world. According to a poll, the vast majority of people living in the Netherlands support expanding assisted suicide for older citizens who are not facing a serious or life-threatening illness. A recent poll of nearly 200,000 people found that 80% of the Dutch supported enabling elderly people who feel they've reached the end of their lives to obtain assisted suicide. In other words, a supermajority of respondents favor allowing assisted suicide regardless of whether the person requesting it is terminally ill. Coming up after the break, we'll look at some church news. Inside of me, and the more 
Welcome back to On Call for God. I'm Jose Rodriguez, your host. Uh, we're in the section now where we look at the church around the world. Church news, some good, some not so good. But let's go ahead and see what we have for now. Uh, in the United Kingdom, the young Brits are open to banning the Bible. Nearly a quarter of young Brits would ban the Bible if they felt its pages contained hate speech, according to a new poll. Last month, Polling group Whitestone Insights asked 2,088 United Kingdom adults if they agreed with the following statement. Unless the offending parts can be edited out, books containing what some perceive as hate speech should be banned from general sale, including, if necessary, religious texts such as the Bible. Young people aged 18 to 34, were the most likely to agree with this statement. They came in at 23%, followed by 35 to 54-year-olds at 17%. Over 55s were least likely to agree at 13%. Louise McClatchy, well, the Alliance Defending Freedom United Kingdom, expressed concern about the results in an appearance on GBN News. She said the UK only needed to look at Finland to see the consequences of shutting down Christians. A former minister of the interior was last month acquitted of hate speech charges for the second time after a four-year legal battle. She was criminally charged after tweeting a Bible verse on marriage and sexuality. McClatchy said, we may no longer be a majority Christian uh, population here in Britain. That's even more reason to protect freedom of speech and belief for all. She said that worrying steps towards censorship had already been taken under the conservative government, including the arrest of street preachers for quoting the Bible in public and pro-life campaigners being taken to court for praying silently in their heads near abortion clinics. She said, censoring one type of belief because it fails to fit with the dominant orthodoxy of our day is no better than imposing the illiberal blasphemy laws of the Middle Ages. We need a robust defense of religious freedom from those who craft our legislation, and we need 
to educate the be kind generation on the truly hateful consequences of censorship before this type of thinking creeps further into reality. From Pakistan, a Christian teen escapes from a forced marriage. Nayab Gill was just 13 years old when she was taken from her home in a place called Guaranwala, Pakistan, by her Muslim employer. She was forced uh, to convert to Islam and made to marry her abductor at gunpoint, a fate that is faced actually by dozens of minor Christian girls in Pakistan each year. Well, two years after her kidnapping, Nayab made a daring escape and is now sharing her story. On May 20th, 2021, her employer, Saddam Hayat, a 30-year-old married father of four children, reportedly arrived at her home uh, to take her to work in his vehicle. Saddam, according to her, was a frequent visitor to our house. He owned some shops in our area, one of which was rented by my father, by my father. And, uh, according to her, Saddam promised to pay a salary of 10,000 Pakistani rupees, which is U.S. $34, and said that the money would help my poor family to supplement its income. My father reluctantly agreed to his proposal because Saddam told him that I was like his own daughter. Nayab recalls that Saddam at least twice tried to make advances on her at work, which compelled her to keep a safe distance. She said, I was afraid that if I told my family about Saddam's advances, my father would stop me from going to work, and my family would lose the money that they needed so desperately. Well, on the, on the day of the kidnapping, Instead of taking her to the salon where she worked selling facial products, Saddam took her to a deserted house where he forced her to renounce her Christian faith and sign a blank paper. Nayab says that soon after being held hostage, uh, Saddam threatened her at gunpoint that if she did not submit or succumb to his will, he would kill her and her father. I screamed and I cried, but no one heard me. Those are words. After getting the paper forcibly signed, Saddam locked me up in a room and left. I was kept there for two days, during which I was given food only once in 24 hours. On the third day, Saddam came and told me that my father had registered a case of uh, abduction against him. He told me that I would be presented before a judge, and if I did not testify that I had converted to Islam and married him of my own free will, my family and I would be killed on the court's premises. Nayab recorded a statement in court in her abductor's favor. He was given custody of her as his lawful wife in front of her helpless parents who shed tears for their young daughter. Her ordeal worsened after the court gave custody to her abductor, however. Saddam then took me to his own house and locked me up in a room on the second floor. During my two-year captivity, he repeatedly assaulted me against my will and treated me like a slave. But I did not lose hope and my faith in Christ. I prayed every night, saying, God, please help me. I would also pray for my family's safety. They refused to give up and kept moving through the court system for my recovery. But I was too scared to reveal the truth. Each time I was summoned in court, I would say that I was an adult and had married Saddam with my free will. Saddam's family treated me like an outcast. They often humiliated me for being born to a Christian family. There were times when I thought I should end my life but I think it was my faith in God that gave me the strength to face that situation. That continued till April of 2023 when she found a chance to escape. It was the last week of the Muslim holy month of Ramadan when Saddam's former wife registered a case against him for threatening her. Fearing arrest, Saddam and his brothers fled the house, but in the rush 
of getting out, they forgot to lock her up. It seemed God had answered my prayers for freedom, she says. I, I discreetly left the house and started running, not even knowing where the road would lead me. I stopped at a market to catch my breath. When a Muslim woman approached me, she asked, she must have sensed uh, that something was not right. She asked me if I needed help. I told her that I did, that I didn't have any money or a phone to contact my father. She took me to her house where I was able to get in touch with my family. So, soon afterwards, she was reunited with her parents. She says, I don't have words to express the joy when I, I felt when I saw my father. Tears rolled down our eyes as he hugged me and kissed my forehead, promising to keep me safe forever. Neb's father filed a second petition with the Supreme Court in July 2021. After the high court rejected his first petition and sent the girl with her abductor, the Supreme Court set a hearing for the newest petition a full two years in the future, dampening the family's hopes of recovering their child. Once the court finally heard the case in September 23, it dismissed the petition as being infructuous or pointless because the girl had been reunited with her family. Well, what that means is that the Supreme Court's decision left the door open for more sexual exploitation of underage Christian girls in Pakistan in the guise of religious conversion. She says, I was expecting that the Supreme Court would hear my story, but it seems it wasn't interested. I now want to resume my education and make friends. I don't have friends anymore. I even asked my mother to let me cut my hair because I want to be like a boy. It's not safe to be a girl in Pakistan. And so it would be good to think and to pray for those in other parts of the world that are going through situations such as this. Sometimes it's hard to believe it when your situation is so much better. Coming up, a devotional thought or two.
Have you ever heard a Christian refer to himself as just a sinner saved by grace? Have you referred to yourself that way? Well, what do sinners do? They sin. Let me tell you what the Romans says about those of us who are followers of Christ. Romans 1.7 says, To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You are, if you are a follower of Christ, you are a saint. So, how can you be a sinner saved by grace? What do sinners do? They sin. If you're no different from a non-Christian, or even if you perceive yourself as no different, what will happen? Your Christian life will be mediocre at best with little to distinguish you from a non-Christian. Satan will seize that opportunity, pour on the guilt, and convince you that you are doomed to an up-and-down spiritual existence. As a defeated Christian, you'll confess your sin, you'll strive to do better, but inwardly, you'll admit that you're just a sinner saved by grace, just hanging on until Jesus comes. Elsewhere in Scripture, believers are called brethren, sons of God, sons of light, and of course, saints. So, you see, you're, you're not a, a sinner saved by grace. You are a saint who sins. For you were formerly darkness, is what the scripture says, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. According to that passage, Ephesians 5 and 8, we don't have an identity problem. We have a walking problem. We become saints at the moment of salvation. And we live as saints in our daily experience. As we continue to believe what God has done and as we continue to affirm who we really are in Christ. If you fail to see yourself as a child of God, you'll struggle vainly to live like one. And Satan will have little trouble convincing you that you are no different from who you were before Christ, and that you have no value to God or anyone else. But appropriating by faith the radical transformation of your core identity from sinner to saint will have a powerful, positive effect on your daily resistance to sin and Satan. So you might pray, Lord, open our eyes that we may see ourselves as you see us. Then enable us to walk as children of light. And I would like to add a, another little devotional thought, a uh, little humorous, actually. I don't know if it's a devotional thought, but this is where I put it in the, in the schedule. Let's try it. Talk about today's hymn. There's a preacher was completing a sermon in his church about the dangers of alcohol and the need for moderation and temperance. And at the end of the sermon, in a loud, clear voice, he said, If I had all the beer in the world, I'd take it and throw it into the river. Well, then with even greater emphasis, he added, And if I had all the wine in the world, I'd take it and throw it into the river. Finally, in an extremely serious manner, he said, And if I had all the whiskey in the world, I'd take it and throw it into the river. And then he sat down. Well, the, the worship leader, the choir leader came up and he announced with a smile, for our closing hymn this Sunday, let us sing together hymn number 109, Shall We Gather at the River? Well, thank you for hanging out with me this hour. I hope you got the humor on that last one. A special shout out to all our listeners from around the world. You may wonder where they are listening to on Call for God. Let me give you uh, most of those names. You got France, uh, Thailand, Pakistan, South Africa, Spain, Ethiopia, Finland, Italy, Romania, the Russian Federation, China, Angola, Italy, 
Brazil, Germany, Serbia, Belarus, Canada, the United Kingdom, and the United States. Interesting variety of countries for a program that lasts about 50 minutes, and it's all in English. Well, it's a good, it's, it's, been a, it's been a good day and a good week. With all the craziness that's going on in the world around us, it's good to remember that there is a way to eternal peace and salvation. You'll find it in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, and really the reason why this program even exists. If you declare with your mouth the word of God says Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Oh, one more thing before we go. One more thing. We have changed our email address. The email address has changed. The new email address is josear at crossnetglobal.com. You spell that J-O-S-E-R at sign crossnetglobal, all one word, dot com. So that is the email address if you want to be in touch, uh, share an idea or a thought. If you have any questions about On Call for God, and uh, if you'd like to send an old-fashioned letter, the address has not changed, and that that address is On Call for God, P.O. Box 3015, Forney, Texas. Forney, Texas. And those of you that are overseas, that letter probably needs to have USA written on it somewhere. All righty. Thank you very much for being with me. Um, we will see you again next week. And in the meantime, be safe and be blessed. I have decided I'm going to live like a believer. Turn my back on the deceiver. I'm going to live what I believe.
How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught. My heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear! The hour I first believed Through many dangerous toils and snares I have already Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home when we been there ten thousand years bright shining as the sun we know last days to sing God's praise then when we first